Hello, I'm Mark Foden and welcome to The Clock and the Cat, a podcast of conversations about complexity. The Clock and the Cat explores the emerging science of complexity, ultimately to help you generate better ideas and make better decisions whatever you're involved with. This is episode six and I'm with Maggie Marriott. Before I talk with Maggie, I'd like to thank just a few people. First, the seeming legion of people across Canada who've been visiting the website, listening to the podcast and generally being nice on social media. I think this may be down to Tom Kearney in Ontario. So, Tom, thank you very much. You are a splendid fellow. I should also say that my wife is Canadian and she sends her love out to you all. There is a special place in heaven for Will Good, who wrote the first comment and rating of The Clock and the Cat on iTunes. He describes me as the Parkinson of complexity, and I'm blushing even now. That is, presuming he means Sir Michael Parkinson, the British broadcaster, not Cecil Parkinson, the politician, or even one of the hapless victims of Parkinson's law. Will, your rating was magnificent and motivating. I read it every morning before breakfast. Thank you. Very special thanks to Adrian Brown, Danny Berkeley, and Elena Baniera at the CPI, the Centre for Public Impact. They've been hugely supportive of the podcast, published transcripts on their own blog, and have enthusiastically banged the social media drum. They've brought all sorts of lovely people to the podcast, not least Natalia Arguello from Barcelona, who wrote me a lovely email this week. Thank you, Natalia. CPI absolutely get the importance of complexity, despite the unpalatability of some of its consequences for many of the folk they aim to help. Five gold stars for them. Visit their website, wear their t-shirts. Right, let's get on with it. If this is your first experience of The Clock and the Cat and you don't know what it's about, please do go back and listen to episode one for a breathless, electrifying seven-minute intro to the podcast. Welcome back if you went away. Here I am with Maggie Marriott. Maggie and I first met more than a dozen years ago working on a government programme. Maggie's an independent coach, supervisor, organisational consultant, and she's an associate with Relational Change. She's done loads of work on big organisational change programmes in the government and in the private sector. And she's interested in bringing gestalt practice to organisational issues such as lack of connection to the natural world in decision making and understanding sexual attraction at work. She cares passionately that organisations remember they're part of a wider ecology and that they should move from ego to eco leadership. How about that? Maggie, welcome. Hi, Mark. Great to be here. Maggie and I were in touch on Twitter probably a month ago, and I instantly felt I've got to get Maggie on the on the podcast. And I woke up this morning feeling excited, but absolutely no way of explaining why. So I, I sort of sat down and wrote, wrote some notes this morning. And I, I think I've got to a coherent explanation why, why it's good for Maggie to be on this podcast. Making progress in complex situations is crucially dependent on collaboration. It's not about delivering a plan. To use a cliche, it's a journey. And unexpected things happen and new realities emerge, and this can make huge differences. We need companions, we need networks, and we need to be able to adapt together. And this rests on our relationships. We must be able to communicate authentically. We must be able to grow trust, trust in people, and actually in ourselves. And all of this is Maggie's bag, and it's why I felt excited, and it's why I'm really glad she's here. But Maggie, before we do any of that, the first thing that we need to sort out is, are you or have you at any time in the past been a complex system? <laughs> I think I am a living, breathing, complex person. <laughs> so I have to explain that that's how Maggie and I got in touch on Twitter. Because you were writing a bio, weren't you, Maggie? I was, yeah. And you were finding it a bit of a struggle? And. 
and and I had this sort of trite response that it's hard because we're all complex systems, which is kind of true, I suppose. But anyway, Maggie, welcome. It's great. It's great to have you here. I think we're going to call this podcast about trust, but we will title it about trust. But let's see. Let's see what happens. The first word that stuck out on Maggie's website, the thing she talks about is the word emergent. When you use the word emergence, what do you mean? For me, the word emergence is, I guess it's, it's like you're saying in your intro in terms of the, the journey, which is an overused word, but um, and also works. So emergence is the, it's the idea of constant change. It links back to as soon as you've made a change, you've changed the entire conditions about where you're going to go to. So your what you had where you had planned to go to maybe not where you want to go to now. So it's that constant what's happening now, what's the right thing to do now. Okay, I've that's I've made that change. Where am I now? What's happening now? What's the right thing to do now? So for me that's the the emergence. What's figure all now where I am today? That emergence, it's but it's destabilizing, I guess, isn't it? It's staying on the edge of chaos um, it's, and not tipping utterly over into chaos. It's that creative edge is absolutely what we're looking for. So you're saying it's important to be there, not something to be avoided? It's the best place to be. Absolutely. Change uh, only happens on that, that chaotic edge. The ragged edge. Yes. Otherwise, we're either way too comfortable or it's utter, utter chaos and we don't know which way to go. Because racing drivers talk about this, don't they? they they're on the ragged edge. or but, but Because I suppose to go as fast as you can, you need to be absolutely on the limit. And that works for racing cars as it does for changing ourselves, changing the world. And it happens in nature too, in terms of field boundaries. That's where, you know, nature goes to the edges. So, so, so when you say field boundaries, are you talking about hedges or edges, proper field with wheat in and that kind of stuff? To me, it's um, it's the same. Oh, really? That's interesting. Say more. So lots of wildlife goes to the edges, and those are field boundaries. And that can be a physical wheat field, which has a, a boundary in it that lets change happen. And it's the same in um, Kurt Lewin's field theory in terms of where are the edges, where are the boundaries, who are we in this context? We beha- a bird behaves differently out in the open field as it does at a, a field edge or in its nest. And we are just the same and field theory is the same. What the environment we're in changes who we are and what we bring. Maggie, you're an enthusiast for Kurt Lewin. Can you just say a little bit about what Kurt's about? Kurt's about quite a lot of things, but um, in a gestalt context, very much we talk use his um, field theory. And it actually does link through to the modern day complexity theories in terms of each of our behaviours is not just about who we are as a person, but also where we are, the environment we're in. So as a person, it's me psychologically, socially, historically, you know, and, and physically where I am. And all of that is the field. So when I turn up at work in an organisation, you know, I, I can't box myself off everything I do and how I act. The wider field is with me. So yeah. can I call can I call this field a system? Is it the same? So the field may include many systems. 
my concept of this, and it is just mine, is that the field may contain many systems. So, so my field includes my work, uh, my family, all of, my, all of the other systems that I'm part of. I, I just want to try and tie this back to um, people who've got the sort of complexity frame in their heads. So we can think of Kurt Lewin's field theory as a theory of systems. And you kind of said that, haven't you, in that it, it's, it, there, there are connections there. Can you say a bit about what you think Gestalt is? So Gestalt for me is about, it's about the whole and about the parts. So I guess you could say in terms of system, take it back to system and complexity theory. So a single system, an organisation, uh, mirrors the whole of society in the world. It's a reflection of that. Um, you mean like it's a like it's a fractal, uh, like it's got m multiple levels of similarity. Is that, yes. Is that what you? Yes. Well, that's 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 extremely comforting for the complexity people like Absolutely. me. Absolutely. <laughs> Can we go back to the words you were using? So you were talking about uh, the the parts and the whole. Yes, a part, a system, represents the whole. So an organisation represents society the world as as part of it but when we put the whole together so the whole the whole town the whole city the whole country the whole the whole world that's different than looking at the individual parts so they don't equal each other so they reflect each other but they are not the same there's some the parts are part of the whole but do, neither reflects the whole I don't know if that makes much sense at all. Yeah, it, um, no, it, it it absolutely does because complexity theory says the same thing is that you know a single bird cannot murmur. In, in episode one, I was talking about murmuration yes. of uh, murmuration yeah. of birds. So one bird on its own cannot murmur. The effect of the swoopy behaviour is all about the interaction of the parts, and it does not belong to any one of the parts. It's in the same way that um, a, a single neuron cannot think. It has to connected with its mates in order for thinking to be going on so it, it, it there's a lot of there's a lot of parallel there yeah it's all, it's all relational so that that neuron you're talking about i guess is that's the same as us as people so we meet in relation so if i'm coming into an organization as a an organizational change consultant i immediately change the field and what is noticed because i'm there Ah, so that's that's important, isn't it? Because it's quite easy for consultants to think, oh, well, we've got this system here, which is which needs changing and to think of it as something uh, you've been separate from it and that you the behest of managers who are paying you um, go in there, have a bit of a tinker, um, do a bit of rewiring and then clear off. But it's not like that, is it? No, as soon as we're there, the system has changed. And we, we become part of it to a greater or lesser extent, and, and we are in, we impact it, and it impacts us. Just our very arriving there and asking the questions we do, things are already changing. And so, is that what Gestalt is? I mean, you've got it on your letterhead. Um, <laughs> so, so when you're Gestalting, um, if, when I'm Gestalting, if, yeah. When you're Gestalting, <laughs> uh, what, what what are you um, uh, what, what are you actually doing? So probably very similar to it is very similar to complexity stuff so it's looking out at okay what's happening within the organization and what is the organization a wider part of so that's very much the the field theory side of it and then I use a lot of um, 
dialogue, generative dialogue. So um, this is sort of William Isaac's work in, uh, and I guess Otto Sharma's Theory U, which is built on that in terms of how do we have those conversations about what's the reality now? How is the culture really? What's the reality <laughs> rather than how we wish it was really? How is it? And to get that ground of what's true today. And I also use this phenomenology, which is um, from Merleau-Ponty. So what am I feeling in this organisation? Can I breathe? Am I holding myself in? So using myself as an indicator. The very simple model is the an SOS model, which is what's the situation? So what's, the, what's happening in the field? What's happening with the people in the organisation? What's the other? And then what's happening with me, what the self? So it's the SOS is the model. So, so we've got, sorry, what was the first one? What's the situation? The situation. What's happening with the other? So other. that's in relation and then the self and what's happening with me. And all of that together gives me my work. But this isn't Maggie Marriott going into an organisational situation and sort of analysing all this and writing it down and producing a report, is it? It's you interacting with people. How does, how does, that, how does that go on? What do you do? So I, I know you're it's talking to people, isn't it? But tell us how you do that. So it sounds trite, doesn't it? But um, curious. So just really curious for, for how things work. How is it for you? What's getting in the way? Absolutely uh, non-judgmental. So you know, I don't care what's happening. We just need to uncover the truth. You know, where are we now? What is really happening? What are the real behaviours? And that's a mixture of one-on-one -on -one conversations. And then also coming in and talking to a team, often we need to do, uh, going back to the trust that they started with. So how do we build enough trust within the team that we can start to tell each other the truth? So there's the there's the nub, isn't there? There's the sort of, when there's a great big elephant in the cliche, um, then you've got to find a way of talking about the elephant, but nobody Absolutely. wants to talk, nobody wants to talk about the elephant. And I, I usually take a blow up one with me so I can blow it up and put it in the room. Well, you, you really do have a blow up elephant. I really do have a blow up elephant. And often I'll get people to write down what the elephant in the room on a sticky note and stick it on the elephant. So then it's, it's the elephant and they don't have to say it out loud themselves. It's owned by the elephant in the room. Maggie, I know what the introductory quote for this on Twitter is. I can see it now. Can we have a picture? Can you can you send us a picture of your elephant? Absolutely. Oh God, I'm so excited that we can stop now. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, again, for me taking it back to the Gestalt, that takes it away from. I don't have to talk about it. This is me, and I can now point at it, and it's that the elephant in the middle of the circle. And I guess that's the other thing I do. We talk in circles. We don't have tables in the way. Oh, that's so comforting to hear. <laughs> Scary, so, but it's. Well, tell me what happens when you when you when you blow up the elephant. How do people react? Well, I've introduced a different way. Sometimes I just have it on the edge, sort of wait for people to say, "What's that doing there?" And then other times I will I will put it in the middle, and normally it, people laugh, and also there's a sense of relief that there is a way of getting that elephant out in the room. But I've also had a place where there wasn't enough trust in the team, and it. It didn't work at all. Uh, they just weren't ready to. They were still denying there wasn't any elephant in the room. Oh, that's interesting. So presumably you can talk about the elephant without actually talking about what the elephant is, which maybe is a sort of a part way to solving yeah. the problem. 
yes, it, it just it gets it out there in a in a lighter. This isn't about me. This is about the elephant. You can point at the other in a way of back to the self. I can protect myself because this is no longer about me. It's about that elephant over there. And it's a physical manifestation. A typical assignment. What happens? How long? How many How many conversations? Over what kind of period? It's probably a piece of string question. but it is, it is a piece of string. The Gestalt approach is to be iterative. So I will contract for units of work. But it, it can be between... Oh, I don't know. So I'm doing some work for with Gloucestershire County Council and they are half day half day meetings and other pieces of work have been two years. So it depends on the the scale of the change required, the, the money required. So it is how long is a piece of string. But if you for me, if we can break it down into a unit of work, then we can at least get some satisfaction we achieved that unit. We've learned something, even if we haven't achieved the ultimate goal, we we've got more understanding, more awareness. So that's your agile sprint then? Yes, which is the Gestalt cycle of change. Yeah. Yeah, everything is the same. It is, everything is the same, correct. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you need some level of trust from the people who are paying you, which will be managers in the organisation who want things to be different. Is that right? Absolutely. It's impossible otherwise. Could you talk a bit about the instance where it, it didn't work? Because, you know, sometimes we get into, you know, as consultants, we get into situations that you kind of misjudge or um, I think, oh, gosh, I wish I wasn't here. And, and how do you cope with that? And what do you do? For me, it's about the honesty. When it's happened, I do get cross sometimes that we never talk about things that don't work. We always trumpet what's brilliant. But the learning happens when it doesn't work for everybody involved. That's where I start to pay attention to how do I feel what's happening is my, is my gut clenching am I holding my breath and I will start to name how I'm feeling so I go and I'll own it so here's how I'm feeling when I'm with you this is what's happening for me how is it for you and that's not judgmental this is just as my there's something in my body reacting here that's telling me as an indicator something's not quite right and you'll use those sort of words will you I will use those sorts of words which are a bit weird there's another wonderful thing, perceived weirdness index. God, I um, love that. I know, I love it too. So and it's staying on the right side of that. So I have to be slightly weird to help the organisation change. But if I'm too weird, they'll beat me out of the system. Oh gosh, I've um, got a big piece of paper here, Maggie. I'm writing down notes <laughs> myself. <laughs> That's um, the, Hannah Finn is the guy's name who's come up with that. But it's it's just transformed my world. It's okay to be weird, just not too weird. So, so, I, be, so you... maybe, I, oh, well, that's what it is. Maybe I've been overweirding. <laughs> so, but that's, where, that's learning the boundary, isn't it? And so it's yeah. learning the language of the organisation. What words do they use? What are they willing to tolerate? And it's just starting gently and then testing those boundaries. When, I've got, when it hasn't worked, people just will not meet me anywhere near. They won't tolerate any of my weirdness. I have to meet them in their organisation as they are. And that is a big alarm that they don't want to change. Typically what happens? Does the things break down and you kind of have to withdraw or? So, well, it's, it's mixed. Sometimes you can have dialogue and work your way through it. And if, there is, if there's enough resilience and honesty to say, actually, I want this change more than I want to stay the same. Rewards can get difficult because people are rewarded often for staying the same. Either we can work our way through it and then often the relationship is so much stronger because we've been through that and tested our boundaries and learned together how to work. And other times it's the honest conversation with, you're asking me to do this change. This is actually what's happening. These are the behaviours. Here's how it's impacting me. 
I think you're wasting your money, shall we call it a day? So this is you talking to the manager who hired you? The hiring person, yeah. Tough conversation. And it's also calling out, here's the, here's the work we have done. Here's what we know now. So we've done a unit of work. Here's what, you know, we have more awareness than when I started, but maybe now's not the right time. Maybe you need to do some other work first. Or maybe I'm not the right consultant for this. You know, it can be it can be me, my style, my approach. Because we're part of it, aren't we? Absolutely uh, right. Uh, as, as, as you're saying, and when there's no trust and people are not prepared to talk, they've obviously been cattle prodded into the room and Maggie starts to feel uncomfortable or whatever, however you label your feelings and you say and you express them. Typically, how might people in the room respond? Quite often there's a sense of relief that somebody's finally naming it. It's another thing in Gestalt about parallel processes. What I'm feeling is likely what other people are feeling in the room but can't name. I go first. And that's what I say to people. I'm going first. This is how I feel. It may be just me, in which case, let me know. Um, but it may be that other people are feeling this in the room and not able to express it right now. So often there's a sense of relief, the ability, okay, it's, it's okay to talk about this stuff. But generally, I've primed the most senior person in the room that I'm going to do this. Uh, and where possible, they are also supporting it and and they will also chip in and say how they are feeling. So I'll, I'll try not to be the only person in the room who's willing to bear all, so to speak. So you'll kind of prepare them maybe, and just warn them that this is going to happen and maybe give them a bit of time to respond themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I never just jump, dump this on people. I will have probably done one-to-ones or one-on-twos to explain, here's my approach, here's how I work, this is what like, is likely to happen how okay are you with that? You know, do I need to dial it down a bit or can I go wild and wacky? Where is that comfortable edge? Can we experiment in the moment? So there's an awful lot of testing as we go through with one-on-ones and then the big group. And what people say is okay one-on-one often changes when they're then in a big group. You said experiment in the moment. Can you say more about what that is? It could be something as silly as, actually, I'm feeling quite tense and and uptight right now maybe let's just get up and walk around or let's actually not speak right now let's talk uh, by by writing down you know just let's quit the talking and let's write down or let me introduce a talking stick so I'll have various different approaches I'm sure the same as you gathered over the years all of those change processes that I've learned over the years all have something good in them so I'll pull one of those things out and let's try this now let's try that now Maybe we need to do a pre-mortem. So what's going to guarantee failure? So we need to do something light or we need to do something or take the focus more more microscopic. But the experiment in the moment thing is it's about having a bag of tools and then choosing the right one for that moment. It's not about having a plan about how this how this session day or whatever it is. That's right. It's emergent, Mark. Absolutely right. It's emergent. I'm so loving this, Maggie. Fantastic. For me, that's why... To do this work, it's it's a craft. So much as, you know, a carpenter has a bag of tools, but they've had an apprenticeship of lots of years of how to do things. I think to be able to do change in complex systems, it, it's it's a craft. And you need all of those tools and to understand all of the different theories and models and, and have them at your disposal so that they're available depending on the client and the situation but it's very much a it's a craft. It's not an a it's not a process one two three four which you follow religiously. And if you have a one two three four, it's almost certainly going to get in the way and and stop things from changing. 
Yeah, and sometimes it's a good beginning because it gives people a sense of safety. So there are times it's okay to bring it out. Uh, we've talked about Kurt Learn, we've talked about Gestalt, we've talked about Emergence. Is there anything else that you think we just absolutely definitely should cover while we're talking about complex systems? So I think the one that's bugging me is how do we deal with burnout in complex systems, especially when it's... Burnout of individuals, you mean? Yeah, because this, the cycle of change can be so fast. How do we get to that? You know, in Agile, how do, how do we make the pause long enough to really know, OK, what's changed? Where are we now? What do we do now to get any satisfaction? I just think um, people and leaders are just getting burnt out with the, with the pace of change and the complexity and the potential scale of it. Um, so, so where does it, so where does this come from? Is, is it sort of um, the result of dissonance or, or, or what? For me, it's the disassociation with the rest of the world and even our own bodies. Are we drinking? Are we eating? Are we resting? Are we sleeping? Are we putting our phones down? Remembering uh, and, and, presum to, and presumably everything else that's going in our world, going on in our world, because it isn't just work. That's right. It's just that pace. And how do we how do we take the time to step back and look after ourselves? We're not immortal. We do have to look after ourselves. We do have to slow down. We can't do everything. And um, so many organisations and people I coach right now are just trying to live in chaos rather than that creative edge. You can just see people, they're just at their wits end. I just see too much of it. I'm not sure whether that's right for this conversation, but it's um, it's one of the things with complexity and trying to wrestle this ugly octopus all at the same time so but by definition no one if we're in a genuinely complex situation you can't get your head around it so um, what i'm thinking is that we're pre-wired to take a clock type approach by which i mean a, a, an analytic type approach to uh, gather information analyze it make sense of it and then take some action make a plan based on that but a complex system is it doesn't yield to that kind of approach and you need to be much more cat about it um, be more emergent and all the stuff that we've been talking about so could this burnout originate from being from using my my cat clock language to, to trying to be too clock in a cat situation absolutely oh absolutely. I'm so glad. maggie i'm so glad you said that that's very affirming and especially the way the finances work, especially in governments where you have to put in a pitch, guarantee what benefits you're going to deliver, when they're going to deliver, and you have to plan it five years in advance. And then you got again get beaten over the cost because you didn't meet the plan that you set out five years ago. It's not going to happen. But yeah, as you say, we like patterns. Humans are always searching for patterns, which is the, the clock. But we're cats. <laughs> well, but we do see we do see patterns in we do see repeating patterns in complex systems, you know, like the, the murmuring yeah. of the birds. What we absolutely cannot do is predict the track of an individual bird. But we can uh, we can know that if a whole flock of birds take off together, they will exhibit patterns like this. So I can't there, there, there must be some comfort there, I suppose. Yeah, I'm not sure the financial people. That's good enough for them, I suppose. <laughs> so but particularly people in, in government are coping with the need to meet the sort of you know the financial planning round and um, yep. writing five-year business cases and then delivering them and and so on is that how can you help or how can we help 
what, what do we need to do to nudge change in a system that's so bound like that? I guess it's it's balancing finances against the reality of the outcomes. So once we've done some investigation work, the best thing might be do something totally different to what we had put in the business plan. So it, it's having that more fluid, open dialogue to say, actually, I know more now. This is the best thing to do to meet the ultimate outcome that we really do want to achieve in five years time. But I can't follow that rigid plan. Is there a way to write outcomes differently? Ask questions. I prefer them ask questions. We're trying to answer this question. Oh, that's interesting. So how does that work in a business case that you're spending 50 million quid on? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's enough. I'm not sure. Yeah. So, but, I'm uh, sure there's many people out there they're doing that. But um, I just think if we're answering a question, then how, what happens and how we answer that question, we don't have to predict up front. What's the most important question to be answered right now for healthcare or tax reform, then okay, how do we answer that question? And in answering that question, hopefully we'll come up with some solutions rather than pre-configure the solution up front. Um, sorry, Maggie, this, the, the uh, recycling people have turned up and they're just <laughs> chucking bottles around outside. So we, just, so we can use this as a, a, a moment to reflect on. Maggie, a lot of this is about trust then, where we started? Yes, absolutely. All of our work in, in organisations or you know or one-on-one -on -one coaching is all about building a strong enough relationship that the trust is there to change. If we're at all afraid, we won't change, we will hold back. So we need to build that trust. And that's, that's the relational work. And it, it happens between us and accepting all of the baggage that each of us brings with us and all of the different systems that we're part of. But, but with, without trust, nothing is going to change. I hear people talking about trust quite a lot. At one level, we realise that it's important, but I'm not sure we really get to grips with what it actually means you have to do differently to create that trust. And for me, it's about the sort of conversations that you have been talking about, which is, and this is why I've been excited about talking with you because it just seems to me that this is the the, the the things you've been talking about are the sort of wellspring of change and the thing we absolutely need to focus on doing. I think we've uh, we concluded that trust is really very important and if you want change to happen in complex systems then you need to hire Maggie. <laughs> Uh, Maggie, <laughs> Maggie, look, thank you very much indeed. So we're, we're done now. And just to wind up, if there are things you'd like me to talk about in future episodes, then just let me know. If you'd like to appear on The Clock and the Cat yourself, send me the Twitter equivalent of a brown envelope stuffed with low denomination notes and I'll see what can be arranged. Lots more Clock Cat coming. So if you found what you heard useful, please do subscribe. Alternatively, Tibbles, the podcast cat, has now got his own Twitter account and you can follow that at Clock and the Cat. That's The Clock and the Cat without the the at the beginning. Tell your friends. Thanks. Bye bye.